18, 19 year old, like, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Right. Like I was a psychology major. I knew I wanted to do psychology. I, I really, really didn't know what the heck I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so even if you add and complicate it by adding sports on top, whatever that sport is, even if you do multiple sports, it's complicated and you're still a developing human being. So end of the day, you're always going to be more valuable as a human than you are as an athlete. And how do you build up yourself to develop who you are more so than just developing your talent and your skills? Because at some point you got to hang up the shoes, you got to hang up the cleats and, and then what? And, and who, who will you be after that? Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. I am Noah Alvarez. Thank you guys again for tuning in. We have a very special episode and a special guest for you this week. But before we get into all that, of course, we got to take care of what we got to take care of here. And that's one, make sure to follow, subscribe, and like the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Be sure to check out the My Mike and I Instagram page at my period Mike and period I. It's a good way to keep up with the podcast with the latest news. I have a My Mike and I playlist featuring a lot of different artists and my favorite music, my favorite songs that they made from artists who have been on the show. I also like to promote whatever my other guests have had going on, whether it's Fair and K with the Black OC, whether it's Carnalissimo, whether it's Trophies, the different clothing brands that I've had on, just different people I like to promote their stuff and what they got going on so you guys can keep up with them as well on that page. And of course, I like to promote audio and visual snippets for that page as well. So that's at my period Mike and period I. Also, be sure to give True 100 Radio a follow on social media, Twitter, Instagram, dispelled T-R-U, the number one, 100 Radio. Shout out to them for having us on their platform. We got some exciting stuff too coming that we will be announcing in the near future. So be sure to stay posted on that. And you can check out the website. They got some blogs. You can listen live to different shows. My Mike and I is on Monday afternoons. You can also check out shows like You're Doing Find Me, Ha, The Front Row Seat. A Sip of Crime, The Morning Routine, and plenty more different shows. That's at TRU, the number one, 100radio.com for all those good stuff. Now, I guess it's about time we can introduce the guest for this week's show. Can I get a drum roll, please? This week's guest is none other than Dr. Milo Dotson. Milo is a fellow Southern California native. He co-hosts his own podcast with his wife, Yessie Ortiz. The podcast is titled Mental Health is Real. The real being an acronym for reflecting empathy and love. I absolutely love that. On the podcast, they talk about wellness, social justice, as well as mental health. We talk about all three of those, as well as what we learned about ourselves in the year 2020. We talk about an altercation that he had with the police growing up as a young boy in Covina. We do talk about his interest in the field of psychology, the rise of mental health awareness in society as a whole, and much, much more. So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Milo and myself. Really quick, wanted to shout out Connect OC for being able to connect us because we were both a part of the mental health and the student athlete panel back in March. That's how we were able to connect with one another. You can follow him on social media at phdotson on both Instagram and Twitter to follow up with all his latest work. Thank you again, Milo, for being a part of this show. Now, let's go ahead and get into the conversation. 
Thank you again, Milo, for hopping on the Mike and I podcast. Really excited to have you on and talk about your background and how you came to be the person you are today. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to, to share space. Um, even if it's virtual, it's still good to connect. Mm -hmm. So I did want to ask you as a teenager or maybe even younger, but when did you notice you had an interest in the field of psychology and you wanted to study that and, and further education? Yeah, sure thing. So when I was um, even in elementary school, like I was always that kid asking my mom why for everything. Like, why does the toilet flush like this? Uh, why is, you know, why is the sky blue? And, and then getting, you know, a little bit older, um, why do people act the way that they do? And the big, big pivotal moment for me was actually when I was like 15, 16, and my mom and I are riding our bikes home from the movies late one night. <clears throat> and um, uh, I, I won't get too, too much into it because it's a different conversation, but we're riding our bikes home late at night. And, uh, you know, police officer kind of does a U-turn, uh, fl flips around real quick in the middle of the street, uh, essentially pulls my mom and I over on, on our bikes. And then literally the example of good cop, bad cop, he was trying to like flirt with my mom. And I'm like, well, this is weird. Mm -hmm. um, and then second cop comes over and is the bad cop, so to speak. And uh, again, long story short, not for today, but basically assaults me in front of my mom. Mm -hmm. And being a young black boy in America, I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, but what that did for me, and to answer your question here, what that did for me is expand my understanding of like why I need to know or why I'm looking for answers. And like why stuff like this happens to young black boys who are getting straight A's in school, um, who are in all AP classes. Um, and it also like brought race into my life in a more real way, because if it was really an issue of needing to pat me down and search me and all that kind of stuff, he would have did that to my mom, too. Mm -hmm. But as she she's white. Um, that didn't happen. And so we go home and again, later throughout the rest of that week and moving forward, I'm kind of like, why does this happen? Mm -hmm. So fast forward first in my family to go to college and I didn't understand what it meant to be a psychology major, but I just knew that my hunger for why, and then also wanting to inherently always help people really is what led me to psychology. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, sticking with that theme, if you don't mind sharing a little bit more about it, how did that affect your viewpoint towards whether it's a police force or just authority in general, being a black boy in America? Yeah, so um, it really made me feel less safe and it really made me feel angry. Um, it also made me feel really sad. I mean, my mom had worked hard the whole day, uh, take me to go see, um, to go see Ali uh, with Will Smith in it, mm -hmm. my favorite actor, someone I looked up to throughout my life. And in that particular moment, like it ruined the great night that we had at the movies as, as mother and son. Um, but moving forward, like I said, it made me feel less safe because if I'm doing everything, if I'm complying, like we know the, these days, like people are like, oh, you know, black people should just comply and it won't be an issue doing everything to the letter and I still got assaulted. Mm -hmm. So if you're again, 15 years old and this is happening in front of your mom, what do you think that's going to do? Not just to my mental health, but my understanding of a, an entire system. 
Um, and so I think, again, it makes me angry as I continue to see these things continue to happen. Um, and so not only did that drive me into psychology to understand why, but that also really planted the seed for, um, you know, being a social justice advocate that way. Mm -hmm. And did this happen in the city or the area that you grew up in? Yeah, I grew up in Covina um, and it happened, happened in Covina, probably like three minutes away from my house um, and like a block away from my high school. I lived, you know, close to, to the high school. So um, it was really like that much more, I felt that much more vulnerable because it happened like in my city. And as a kid, like I did the whole D.A.R.E. program thing at my elementary school. And, and we know in retrospect, D.A.R.E. didn't work out so great, but that's a whole other conversation for a podcast. But yeah. it was just like, you all came to my school and we had talks and like I got straight A's my entire life. And, and this is the way that you treat me. Mm -hmm. uh, in my own like neighborhood and in, in, in front of my mom. So um, it really, really affected me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Moving forward with your decision to go to college, what were some of those factors as a high school student that you were looking at when choosing a college? Well, I'm, I'm going to keep it real, man. I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing applying to colleges. Um, again, as a first first generation college student, you, or at least for me, I knew I wanted to go to college, but like, I had no idea what the heck that meant. And I knew that I wanted to like further my education, but I just kind of applied to schools who had sent me brochures or pamphlets and whatever else in the mail. And mm -hmm. I think at that point, my, um, my uh, PSAT scores were high enough. So I was getting like pamphlets and brochures from top schools and um, it came down to like, I don't know if I applied to maybe like six or eight schools, um, some UC schools, some in-state private schools, out of state. It came down to uh, Notre Dame, which is where I ended up going, or uh, University of Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, Pittsburgh, because that's where my mom's side of the family is from. And then Notre Dame, which is where I went, ended up going because they just again, to keep it real, like they gave me the most scholarship money. So I'm like, I don't know nothing about Indiana other than that's the home state of the KKK. I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing about Notre Dame, except like I'll occasionally see them play football on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. But like, if you can help me get a college education and make it affordable for my mom and I, then like, let's do it. Fighting Irish, all that good stuff. Let's, let's make it happen. Okay. What were some of the biggest culture shocks moving from Covina, California, all the way to South Bend in Indiana? Oh, geez. Um, what was it a culture shock? <laughs> uh, I, I think, to be honest, um, I hadn't even visited prior to uh, enrolling and accepting. So um, I was a two-sport athlete in high school, uh, tennis and basketball, and we were in the midst of a tennis season, and I was captain, so I'm like, I'm pretty sure I want to go to Notre Dame. They're going to give me a great scholarship. So let's just sign the, sign the papers. So I never visited. Mm. And then once I got there, it was for a, um, it's called the Balfour Hesburgh program. Mm -hmm. And that was beginning of July, 2004. Um, I was set to start in August of 2004. So um, once I got there again for the summer program, at a predominantly white institution like Notre Dame, few people looked like me. Um, 
there's a lot of stereotypes and a lot of attitudes around stereotypes. So like people are like, oh, you're from, you're from Southern California. You're in LA, like you know how to crip walk. Oh uh, my gosh. You know, at the time, um, at the time it was uh, Drop It Like It's Hot with uh, Snoop and Pharrell. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, just like the Drop It Like It's Hot video, right? Like, you know how to crip walk? Like, I yeah. think they call, him, they call him Uncle Snoop. Is that a, is that a thing? And I'm just like, at that time, to be honest, I try, I, I pretended like I knew what I was doing. Man, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I don't, to this day, I just don't know how to crip walk. And that's not <laughs> something you do, right? Like, right, unless no. for a particular purpose, you just don't casually do that. So uh, that was a big culture shock. And I think, like, my entire life, I knew that I was, that I'm Black, and going to Notre Dame um, really made my racial identity feel that much more salient. Like I had a, a greater connection to it. So ultimately, in addition to being a psychology major, um, I minored in Africana studies because I knew based off of the work I was learning about black psychology, I wanted to have more of that historical context for understanding you know, everything from the institution of slavery to the 13th Amendment to uh, Jim Crow, um, Reconstruction era. So, um, yeah, it, it was a it was a culture shock at first. I haven't even mentioned the, the weather. My God, the weather uh, it was like cold 11 months out of the year. Damn. But, um, you know, it was it was a, a great experience. And to be honest, I ended up loving Notre Dame. Uh, and wouldn't wouldn't change the experience uh, for nothing. So okay, I think I can relate in the sense that I always was really curious about history. Um, I didn't minor in anything. I, I went to school for journalism. I went to Sacramento State after oh. some community college. But any elective I any elective requirement I had, <clears throat> and I could choose any subject matter, I would always choose history class. And I did end up taking a few history of Africa African civilization classes. I took a few history of Mexico classes, um, a little background on myself. Both my parents are immigrants from Mexico. So mm -hmm. learning about the roots, I felt like very, it helped change my perspective on not only like me as a person, but as well as my family, bigger picture, but also some of the like, just like the cultural struggles here in this country, because like, you know, this was a lot of part of the United States was Mexico, Absolutely. was property of Mexico. And then obviously it wasn't. And, you know, now there's the whole like border situation and that there is now, but it mm. developed over like hundreds of years of generational trauma. And I don't know, it went super into depth into, into some topics like that. And I felt like it really changed my perspective like that. I think that's why history classes are very powerful. It's unfortunate though, that, you know, at least I, I know I went through a public school system. I don't know if you went to as well, but they don't really teach you too much about that kind of stuff in the public school system in middle or high school. And, right. you know, you, you lose sight of that, especially if your background is from that. Yeah, um, I, dude, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the reality is, and, you know, recently conversations around Juneteenth in particular, um, people are now just learning about Juneteenth for the first time. Right. And I was recently asked, like, well, why do you think that is? And I'm like, well, to be honest, it's because of systemic racism and the system that we're talking about that comes into play here is our education system. So like there's, there's this pushback around uh, Congress being able to give us this federal holiday, 
-hmm. but they're not in some states potentially going to allow for critical race theory to be taught and other ethnic studies to be taught, like you're mentioning um, across, you know, BIPOC communities. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was particular in like um, California and Arizona in the not so far past, um, but not allowing for these things to be taught in terms of why we need a federal holiday in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, I don't, and I don't know about for you, but my education uh, and my history books in elementary in particular, I remember like there was always that, that chapter like way in the back where it was like slavery, like chapter 300 at the end of this book that you ain't going to get to, but right. like slavery for the end, right? Mm -hmm. And leading up to that, you learn about Dr. Martin Luther King and it's a very watered down whitewashed version of what Dr. King advocated for. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and basically just to your point here, we don't learn our history and that denies us almost as a way of us learning who we are, right? You have to know your history to know who you are. Right. And so that's why I'm, I'm loving what you're saying there. Like there's a, such a strong connection mm -hmm. between history and psychology, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think another word too for it is like, it's very rushed. It seems like certain chapters or certain subject matters of United States history specifically was just kind of like, oh yeah, we're just gonna go over We spent, you know, weeks on the reconstruction or industrialization period, but then it was like, hey, we're gonna spend like a day, maybe two on slavery or on Harriet Tubman or the Underground Railroad. But it was kind of like very brief and it was very rushed and it just mm -hmm. wasn't taught as much in depth, you know? Yeah, and when it's not taught in depth, um, it implicitly like positions it as almost being anti-American. Mm -hmm. And so like African-American history is it's like its own thing mm -hmm. versus understanding that African-American history is American history, Correct. just like Chicano history, Mexican-American history is American history. Mm -hmm. And so when you position it in a certain way, you're implicitly and explicitly sending this message to the youth that one, you don't matter, two, your history doesn't matter, and three, there's a certain way that you have to present yourself in this country, i.e. assimilate to the dominant white culture. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that was another powerful thing I learned from the history of African civilization class in college. They talked about how there's good evidence, not, it's like not concrete evidence, but there's a lot of good evidence that African civilization sailed to different parts of the Americas before. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of proof in the Olmec statues that were found in uh, Mexico. So I remember like the, both those classes kind of co-aligned when I was learning about those two different topics. And I just thought that was super cool because that's not something we always are taught like, oh, Christopher Columbus, you know, he sailed the ocean blue in 1940 or not 1492. And yeah, whole 1492. About it. Yeah. Right. And like there's the whole like perception we're taught as kids that, oh, like the white Europeans were the first sailors and people mm -hmm. to discover new land. But it, they're just the ones, the first ones to record it with like a written language that we could read. But there was, you know, there's good evidence that other civilizations, civilizations were doing it before. And I just thought that was like one of the most eye-opening things like I've ever like discovered in my life. I was like, wow, like how do we discredit that? How do we, you know, but it, obviously there's a reason for that in the public school system. Yeah. And I think in the public school system, uh, particularly, you know, you and I both being products of a, a public school system and that even gets to be less diverse or less uh, broadened, in, it's more limited, I should say, 
um, at times in private school systems because they don't have to account for like those, even those chapters at the end of the books, they don't got to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not um, education and, and various systems don't just happen by accident. And I think sometimes we really have to look back and have honest conversations about what systems and what institutions continue to uphold, as you were talking about earlier, the colonizing mindset and, and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. All right, now moving back to your life, at your time during Notre Dame, were you set on getting your PhD or was that something you wanted to pursue or did you discover that later in life? Um, fortunately, I, I think I found out what and again keep it real i didn't know what the heck a phd was man i'm like people get called doctors like all right cool what type of surgery are you doing yeah right? like you don't know the difference between an md medical doctor phd doctor of philosophy um in psychology even a step further there's a psyd which means you have a doctorate specific to psychology different from a phd confusing i know talk about that. but um i found out actually um, in that summer program that I did I, in July before I started, um, there is a, a professor, uh, Dr. Don Pope Davis, who came to our program and talked about the research he was doing. And um, I talked to him one on one. And I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing yet. But I know I want to do some of the research that you were talking about what I do, right? Like, kind of, you talk to talk to the homies like, man, I don't know what you're doing, but like, put me on. Right. Like, so I started doing research when I was a freshman there. And um, that really opened my eyes to understanding that I want I needed to get a Ph.D. to really have as much opportunities as I can and keep as many doors open as I can for psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do a lot of great work with the bachelor's and getting a master's degree and then a PhD allows you to do even, even more work. So. Okay. And one thing I, I will say just of notice of like my friends and the people that I've spent most of my time around, a lot of people are going to get their school to get psychology degrees. And that's, yeah. I think one of the more popular degree choices in the United States, which I think is, is great because at least talking with you and talking with a lot of my friends, they just bring different perspectives. And obviously, yeah. you know, it's a study of, the mind and, and and so many different aspects of everything but i think it's really cool and i think we're gonna at one point see a, a societal shift as far as how things are structured in different ways and maybe yeah. there are more like counselors and psychologists on campus at a public school system um for whatever different reasons but i just think overall like we're gonna see something like change in the next you know two decades or so yeah, and, and to be honest, that change really does need to happen. Um, I think over this last year, uh, some of us in this country have had a an awakening to uh, social consciousness and to kind of which coincides with that, this awakening around um, the significance of mental health. And, you know, by, by connection connected to psychology, um, I personally didn't really understand mental health, even though I was a psych major until like much later um, into my college, uh, you know, my four years of college. Um, But what I think is necessary is for psychology to be positioned as another way of of helping our communities. Um, Whether you do therapy, whether you do research, whether you, whatever you do with with your psychology degree. Um, 
the best example I can give as to why I say that is because if we look at some of the research that's came out over the last year or two, um, the American Psychological Association actually stated that of all the psychologists out there, 0.87% are black men. Wow. So if you put a hundred people in a room, you're not even going to have a full black man who's a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And I, as a black man who is a psychologist, uh, I feel such such an immense responsibility to uplift the community, to connect with the community, and to empower folks to really pursue advanced degrees because, like, that's how we heal, right? Like, we need folks who look like us and folks who, who don't, but people who understand what the Black experience is like, mm-hmm. what, it, what it's like to be a brown man in America, what it's like to be a Latina, a Latinx folks in America, um, and we need people in those positions to be able to really heal us in the, in the communities. Mm-hmm. It's even something like, you know, in the public school system, I had mostly white teachers, uh, mostly white principals. Yeah. Uh, I think even when there's a lot of white police officers and they're serving a predominantly Latino or black community, obviously that changes the perception of things. Right. And if there were more black police officers, Latino police officers, or just more people of color in these different positions that I'm listing off, there'd be a lot, a greater sense of comfortability in those different scenarios, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think if you look back and this is a whole complicated situation, but if you look back over the history of the way um, police forces have been created decades ago, they were all from within the community. And then now with um, transportation and everything else, you can be living 40, 50 miles away from the community that you serve. Mm -hmm. And so at the very, very least, what we're talking about is building up the sense of trust. And if you don't know the community, if you don't spend time connecting with the community instead of quite literally just policing the community, that's not going to build trust, right? Like any anybody in any type of uh, significant relationship can tell you, like, you can't just text your partner, hey, like, hey, beautiful, how you doing once a week and expect the relationship right. is going to be good, right? right, right. And w- even when it comes to friendships, like, you can't just say, like, hey, what's up, man? Like, how you, how you doing once a month? You have to really spend time on and off the clock. Mm-hmm. Um And even getting back to the example of education that you're talking about, you know, I'm sure even in some of your your history classes, and I'd love to to ask you this, um, did you have a lot of uh, like white professors or like even in more of the um, African civilization classes, were those professors black? So the, yeah, the professor of African civilization class was black, but the professor who taught the history of Mexico class was white. And I remember uh-huh. walking, walking in the first day, and I think a lot of us felt the same way. Uh-huh. In Sacramento, I would say it was pretty, I still think it was a majority of white students, but there was a good Latino population as well on campus. But I remember we all kind of walked into the class and we like first day saw the white teacher. And there's a short, older white lady too. So we all kind of looked at her like, like, hey, like, all right, you know, we'll see how this goes, you know, but we all had like a certain perception of what we were going to expect in our head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly it. Like, I, I know um, I have a person I went to grad school with who was at a university and like on his, his Facebook, he's always talking about like 
when I'm at these um, African or Africana studies conferences, I'm surrounded by white people. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, that, that is interesting, right? So, and that, that's not to say, uh, what we're talking about here is to really, to really spell it out. You can, ha- you can have knowledge acquisition, but it's not just about the knowledge, it's the lens in which you're, you're applying that knowledge to teach your students. Mm. And inevitably, it doesn't matter how woke you are, it doesn't matter if you're like on the, the continuum of like Tim Wise to a Karen, right? Like it's always gonna be through that, that lived experience as a white person in, in America. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just always curious as to how folks get into those positions. Mm-hmm. And again, talking about trust, it, you you have to at some point almost question or at least be curious about the intent in those positions. Right. Um, some really, really, again, Tim Wise, all, all learn from Tim Wise uh, more than other folks who may identify as black Mm-hmm. but their personal politics don't really align with liberation. Um, so there's, there's color and there's colorism, there's race, there's racism on continuums, as well as like, again, that level of personal politics. Mm-hmm. But I think, at least, like I said, from my circle and the people I've seen, there's a lot of optimism for myself just because I see a lot of people of color going to school, getting education, getting degrees and and wanting to give back to the community in certain whether it's a teacher role or just different administrative roles around the community and they're very active and i I think that's powerful like i said i i think i mentioned earlier that i'm from orange county california you know but i'm from the city of santa Ana, so santa Ana's pretty predominantly hispanic but most of orange county is predominantly white upper class so you know it's a there's a definitely like a clash because you once you leave santa Ana in certain areas of anaheim or you know, even Garden Grove, where I work, it's pretty, it's, it's a, it almost feels like a different county, but to yeah. see a lot of members of those cities that come from different backgrounds, that come from immigrant backgrounds, or that come from, you know, Black families, it's cool to see them, you know, get a degree, and then also, like, want to give back to the community in different ways. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I, I agree with you. I think that's why it's so necessary to, um, why education is so valuable, and be and lots of different ways that we can define education people can obtain educations um and i also think there's a a component here about the importance of service Mm -hmm. like you can educate yourself but then what are you going to do with that education right and that's that's what we're really talking about here is making sure that we um kind of like the principle of sankofa like you reach back to build forward and there, there's a sense of um, responsibility, uh, and to be honest, like a level of obligation that I know I personally feel, um, having been um, so blessed and so privileged to have the education and the experiences that I've had, mm-hmm. that it's like, I, I have to do this. And I not just have to, but I want to. Right. Was education pushed in your household? I know you mentioned earlier that you were a first generation college student. Um, man, I don't know if it was necessarily pushed. Um, you know, so growing up, it was just just my mom and I, uh, my mom and I lived with um, her parents and so my grandparents. And, um, you know, I don't know if it was pushed, but 
what I can say was I always felt like like a black nerd growing up. And again, asking why, reading comic books, um, going to science things, science camps and all that. Um, so, you know, for me personally, I just always was drawn to education. Like I loved learning, I loved reading. And I think what my mom did really, really well was encourage me to pursue whatever that was gonna be. Like I was in a bunch of, like I've played five different instruments and performed professionally and like toured Europe and such. Wow. Um, but education was always that, that constant. And my mom was just like, oh, you're getting straight A's, like whether you like it or not, right? <laughs> so, uh, and you're gonna go play your violin and you're gonna go to soccer practice and you're gonna go to little league and basketball practice. And then you're going to do your book report. Nice. So there, there. So now that I, I guess I'm talking out loud about it, like, yeah, it was. <laughs> <a little bit. laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, good to hear. Now, after you get your PhD, did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted to do, or was it still kind of, as you mentioned, going through school? You're kind of like, oh, or what next? Um, I think when I started to get a little bit more clarity was um, end of undergrad, so like junior and senior year. In particular, um, blessed enough to study abroad in London during the spring semester of junior year. And that really opened up a whole different world around doing research over there um, and then also doing more clinical work. Mm. So in, in grad school, a lot of the, uh, my, my peers were always asking, are you going to do clinical work? Are you going to be a therapist or are you going to do research and be a professor? Mm. And I was like, well, I, I, I guess both. Like, what's, what's the problem here? Like, why can't we do both? And so I was always curious to do, to do the research. Again, like I mentioned earlier, always feeling like I'm wanting to help people. So that's what led me to do, um, you know, to be a clinician. And then I always felt like a lot of interest in sports psychology, mm -hmm. uh, being an athlete, knowing like all the football players, you know, Notre Dame being a big football school, like, right knowing all the football players, um, being assumed to be a football player, like walking across campus to black men. They're like, oh man, not even like, are you, are you a football player? It's just automatically assume what position do you play? Mm. So yeah, anyway, that's, that's a whole nother thing. But, um, but yeah, I always had some level of wanting to do the type of work that I'm doing now, whether that's clinical work, therapy and, and working, um, working in corporate America now. Okay. Awesome. I, I did read that you had the chance to work with people like Common, Colin Kaepernick, Kenny Stills, and some of their foundations. How mm -hmm. did those three opportunities come about? Man, uh, to start with with Common, uh, <laughs> he, he spoke at uh, my grad school, uh, I think my third year, uh, so 2000, 2011, almost, almost 10 years ago exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he gave his talk and at the end of the talk, you do the uh, Q&A, right? So like, I, I had, I was again, big nerd, right? So I'm like nerding out like, well, I have a, a dissertation question to ask. And so I try to go down to the mic and I'm in line and there's two lines, like two long lines on both sides of the auditorium. Mm -hmm. Everybody, I kid you not, like 90% of the questions were like, 
can I get a picture with you? Or can I get your phone number? Or yeah. like a hug? Yeah. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like I have a legitimate <laughs> research question to ask this brother. Right. So long story short, didn't get to ask at the mic. Um, cut in front of the like 200 plus people in line to um, have their book signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, talked to his assistant and um, just connected with them. Uh, two days later, I'm up in Chicago uh, meeting him and his mom to talk about uh, directing his summer youth camp. And just kind of jumped into it from there and directed his summer youth camp for about six years. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, Colin, Colin and Kenny is kind of kind of connected to Colin's uh, Know Your Rights camp. Mm-hmm. Um, that came about. My wife um, is in the um, you know entertainment industry and and does radio, just like uh, Colin's partner Nessa. Mm-hmm. Um, so they that's kind of where that connection came from. And then just doing the you know. I think I've done quite a few Know Your Rights camps at this point. Um, then Kenny's uh, Kenny's still growing summit uh, back in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I really I grew up playing sports and football was one of my favorite sports as well. But I always really looked up to the athletes who did who were more than just football players. They didn't fit mm-hmm. the typical you know jock stereotype that were dumb or that were bullies around school that kind of stuff. So you know when I and I was also a big hip hop fan too. So when I saw you got mm-hmm. to work with those people, I was like, man, that's pretty, that's pretty dope. Like that's a, a really dope lineman right there, you know? Yeah. I, I, again, like I gotta be, be authentic and transparent here. Sometimes it's still hard for, for me to believe mm-hmm. um, that like, I know both of them and not just, I know them, but like they know me. And if they, if I were to see them, like just casually walking around at the airport or whatever, they'd be like, Oh, what's up Milo? And to even more so, like having known Common for 10 years, like he's like a he's like a big brother to me. And um, as as an only child, like I've always like wanted that type of big brother. Mm. Um, So for him to like be to be at my wedding, um, that was just really, really beautiful and emotional. And um, and again, just like you're saying, we know that there's so much more than people or there's so much more to people than what we do. So like you can be a dope MC, you can be a really, really talented and skilled football player. And that's what you do, not who you are. Right. So who you are, that comes in with the activism that they both do and the other works that they do in the community. Um, so you can't just tell anybody like shut up and dribble because that's just like, yeah. it's not how it works, mm-hmm. you know, especially for, for um, black folks in that context. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, that's one thing, you know, as a coach, I always try to pass along to my kids. Like I always try and ask questions that gauge their interest outside of football, because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of these kids, they're five, nine, they're not very fast, you know, at one point or another, you're going to have to hang the cleats up and then it's like, well, what next? But if you can start thinking about these questions earlier and get involved in the community or just do whatever you it is that you want to do, but have an idea of it earlier that yeah. I think avoids a lot of like that struggle during those years, because sometimes it could be harsh trying to figure out what you want to do at that 18, 19, 20 year old when everyone else already has kind of an idea because they weren't involved in the sports as like you were. Yeah. And, and that's it. Like, well, I mean, to be fair too, let's say you're not an athlete at 18, 19 year old, like, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Right. Like I was a psychology major. I knew I wanted to do psychology. I I really, really didn't know what the heck I was doing. Mm-hmm. 
And so even if you add and complicate it by adding sports on top, whatever that sport is, even if you do multiple sports, um, it's complicated and you're still a developing human being. So even, you know, and we don't got to get into a uh, goat debate today, but whether you want to talk about uh, Kobe, rest in peace, you want to talk about MJ, LeBron, you want to talk about football, goats, whatever, end of the day, you're always going to be more valuable as a human than you are as an athlete. And how do you build up yourself to develop who you are more so than just developing your talent and your skills? Because some point you got to hang up the shoes, you got to hang up the cleats and, and then what, and, and who, who will you be after that? Right. Awesome. Now you mentioned earlier that you got married and I saw that it was in the year 2020, obviously the pandemic. What were some of the challenges and I guess that experience of going through something like that, getting married during that pandemic year? Oh Lord, where do I even start, man? Um, well, first, you know, so quick, quick context. So uh, proposed to my wife in November of 2019, as we know, everything shut down four months later of March, 2020. And at the time we hadn't really, we hadn't done any wedding planning. We hadn't picked a date. Um, we had kind of marked fall of 2021 as what, when, but no, no dates, no plans, no nothing. And so at the beginning of 2020, when Kobe died, that both, that hit us both really, really hard. Mm -hmm. When the pandemic started, and like I lost somebody not necessarily related to the pandemic, but just I lost somebody that I went to school with. Um, and, and my wife, Yessie, is also impacted by, by things. It really put so much more in perspective. So regardless of all of the can we have an inside wedding? Can we have an outside wedding? Are church services going to be open? Whatever. Um, we just knew like we, we wanted to start our lives together. Mm -hmm. And the, the most important thing that was our focal point was making sure that we knew our wedding day was more about celebrating our, our marriage versus coordinating event planning. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, what flower decorations you want and like what songs you want to play and like, mm -hmm. that's cool, man. But like, do y'all still like each other? <laughs> right? Yeah. So that was what we needed to keep at, at the focus. Um, and to be honest, navigating through all the, the technicalities of COVID and limitations of, of masks, like our party, our party favor, I guess, was to have a mask that said spread love, not germs. Mm. Um, you know, we did wristbands like green, yellow, or red to kind of give levels of comfort that way. Mm. Um, and the other beautiful aspect that actually came from it was we did like a small in-person wedding um, at the church outside. And then we also had a Zoom component. Mm. So like to have people that I went to school with, um, to have Yessie's family members chatting and, and getting to meet each other in the uh, Zoom chat, like you don't get that in a regular in-person wedding. So while we definitely had to pivot and pick up and move and all that kind of stuff, um, didn't even have a, a reception. Um, we still were really blessed to just, again, keep in focus the, the marriage 
and uh, and love at the the center of it all. So, yeah, it, it worked out. Okay, awesome. Well, again, congratulations to you too. Thank now, you. You did mention earlier, twenty twenty was a social awakening for a lot of people. But what were some of the things that you learned about yourself during that time? Man, I learned that I really enjoy uh, quiet and I really enjoy being still. Um, you know, I was commuting from L.A. down to Irvine, um, what, for the last seven years at that point. And so, like, the last year of that, I was waking up at, like, five to try to beat traffic get to the gym before work and then like still work <laughs> like 12 14 hours a day and that just wasn't going to be sustainable so once we went remote and everything was virtual i was like oh let's go i can wake up like 10 minutes 15 minutes before i'm on the clock like yeah. brush my teeth get some coffee and keep it moving um, so that really allowed me to have more time for self-reflection. And again, to your, your question, like I learned that I really value being still and that I, I love um, social time. I just want it to be more intentional and not as forced. Mm. So, you know, when some people are like, oh, man, we should do lunch. Or we should do dinner. And you're like, yeah. And then somehow a week later, you find yourself at the dinner and then right. you're yeah. <laughs> but in the pandemic, you're like, oh, can't do dinner. Sorry about that. See you on Zoom. So mm -hmm. now I guess what I'm really saying here is that I recognize I have the power to create and maintain those boundaries mm -hmm. um, in a healthy way that really feels good for me. And and just to keep it real with people like, hey, you know, like, let's let's think about like when would be a good time and explore more or just get on the phone and talk that way and not feeling forced to have to have like lunches every single day or dinners every single day unless unless that's what I want right that's another thing I kind of similarly learned was how to say no to people and just be comfortable saying no and not yeah. always needing excuse I mean obviously at the height and the beginning of COVID it was like it was very easy to say no because a lot of people weren't doing a lot of things but you know as things kind of opened up a little bit more I just got more comfortable saying like, no, I'm, I'm good. And I didn't have to yeah. give an excuse. Cause I always felt like before COVID I, I had to give some sort of like, a lot of times I would make up reasons like, Oh, I got to help my uncle out when I was just in my bed. Like I already put my PJs on. Sorry. Like I didn't want to go out. And you ain't even got an uncle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. something like that, you know, I just learned how to be comfortable saying no. And, and if that's what I really want to do that evening or that day. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the beautiful part of that self-reflection allows us to keep in focus what matters most to us. So for some people, it's the opposite, right? Like they're like, yes, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do all the things. And that and that's beautiful too. It's just the main thing that you're highlighting is like saying no is a, is a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. And saying no doesn't mean that you're a jerk. Right. Right. Like you can say no and you can say no like, in a kind way, you don't got, you don't got to be a jerk or you don't got to be a jackass about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay because you're, you're prioritizing your, your own needs mm -hmm. and your own mental health. Correct. Well, speaking of mental health, what are some ways that you address your mental health and make sure it's, you know, in the right shape? Yeah. So for me, I, I have um, like different buckets that I tap into. So I'll have my like physical 
uh, self-care bucket where I'll exercise. Haven't been to the gym for a year and a half. So like, I'll just do a lot of walks, runs, um, and hikes. Um, I'll have like my social bucket where like, I'll really call up a friend on the way to do a walk or a hike. Um, obviously spend a lot of time with, with my wife. Um, I'll have like my, I, I really, really, really like ice cream. So I'll, I have like a whole bucket of different ice cream spots that I'll go to, nice. whether that's um, like Rite Aid with thrifty ice cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, best flavor for me is, is Ben and Jerry's strawberry cheesecake. So like those are just be on, on deck in the freezer at home. Nice. Um, but the main thing is just to have like an array or, or lots of different choices and knowing that whenever I'm going to take care of my mental health, I'm going to do it with intention. Um, one thing I say, like do that shit on purpose. So then that way you can actually enjoy it instead of like, Oh man. And I also play video games. So like, I'm not out here trying to trying to play video games. Like, Oh man, I really got to do this work, but like, I still want to play like, no, what I have to do right now is to sit my butt and enjoy these video games so then that way I can take care of my mental health and that allows me to perform better doing work later. Mm, okay. I like that. I, I, I can relate to that because even earlier today I went on a run, but it, I woke up a little late and I was thinking about canceling the run, but I knew run, running would help me feel better throughout the day. Yeah. And because I did go on my run, it kind of put me behind schedule just like a little bit today. And I was kind of rushing through things, but you're right. Like I have to do that run. I, I like how you worded that. Yeah. And, and there's, you have to do it because there's value in that. Not because you feel like emotionally that you have to some days again, don't go on the run. Right. right? But like, if, if you have that, that time to reflect around, well, what's the purpose or like, what's the intent of this run? Is it going to help me throughout the rest of the day? Then a hundred percent, let's make that happen. But other days you're just like, oh, this run ain't happening and I'm eating this ice cream. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. okay too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing I really like from different players, especially in the NBA, LeBron James, I believe it was 2019. He, he mentioned that he spent so many millions of dollars on his mental health in that year. Yeah. Kevin Love has been an advocate for mental health. And there's different players across different sports talking about things. Even uh, most recently, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, right? Mm-hmm you know, she pulled herself out of big tournaments and people are like, whoa, like that's a huge thing. But, you know, she's younger and she deals with it a certain way and that's her choice. So I think that's one thing that's really cool, whether it's athletes or just different people of status that are also talking about mental health. And now mm-hmm. a lot more people like like us or just people from the community that I'm a part of, we weren't talking about mental health five, 10 years ago, but now it's it's a pretty common conversation. Oh man, a hundred percent. Like even now as a psychologist, I'm thinking back to you know, young Milo in high school and playing two sports and AP classes and stuff like, man, I didn't know what the heck mental health was, right? Like I didn't even have a psychology class until I got to college mm-hmm. um, as a psychology major. So to see all of these different people in, in our communities who utilize and, and leverage their, their like notoriety and their celebritum to really advocate for mental health um, is, is powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, moving forward with the year 2021, what are some other goals that you have with the rest of the year? Man, rest of this year. So I'm still um, learning more about my current job. So um, 
in July, I, I'm sorry, in January, I left uh, UC Irvine where I was for the last eight years and started as a senior manager <clears throat> for diversity, inclusion, and community outreach mm -hmm. um, at Belkin International. So I'm learning more about like how the social justice work I've been doing for 10 plus years fits into corporate America and doing DNI work and um, incorporating so many different things around like Juneteenth and Pride Month and also like talking about uh, pay equity and, and all these things. So lots of learning that I wanna do there still. Um, definitely wanna continue to like reconnect with people that I haven't seen in a million years, mm -hmm. um, it feels like, and then probably do some more traveling. Um, I know my wife and I are really, really passionate about traveling and like points and credit card points, miles and all that kind of stuff. And if you can like, you know, get points from things you gotta get on groceries anyway, and then apply that to get a free flight somewhere, then, you know, make it happen. So, um, so yeah, just learning, educating myself, reconnecting and traveling are top three that way. Okay. Is there a place or destination that you haven't been to yet that you would set at the top of your list of next places you want to go? Man, that I haven't been to yet. Um, probably I've always wanted to, um, always wanted to go to Japan. Mm. Um, always, always wanted to go to Japan. So I hopefully end of March, beginning of April, um, we'll be able to go for the um, Cherry Blossom uh, Festival and, and Blooming. Uh, haven't booked that yet. Um, we have booked, uh, fortunately, for New Year's to go to Dubai. Um, so super, super excited about that. Um, but yeah, man, yeah, just lots of lots of traveling, hopefully. Okay. I actually heard from a friend recently that like people in Tokyo, Japan, there's a really big following for lowrider culture. And I always think, yeah, and I always think that's funny because I always thought like lowrider or like trollo culture, that's like very like L.A. or just like yeah. Southern California thing. But yeah. yeah, there's like if you look up different videos and pictures, it's that's like a I want to I don't know how new it is, but it's a newer trend in Japan. Like people are really appreciating lowriders. And I'm just like, wow, that's that's cool overseas now. Wow, I, man, I'm going to have to really look into that because one of the things on my to-do list was to uh, to do the real life version of Mario Kart out there mm, okay. and to dress up as uh, <laughs> to dress up as Yoshi. Nice, uh, okay. <laughs> but lowriders, I'm about to uh, tell my wife about that. That's dope. Yeah. All right. Now I like to ask these questions at the end just to kind of get the listeners to know you a little bit more, a different cool. side of you. So if you could have any toppings on a pizza, what would it be? Any toppings on pizza? Let's um, straight up pepperoni. Okay, just pepperoni. Just pepperoni. Sometimes sausage, but like sometimes it's also a little bit iffy. Mm -hmm. But pepperoni, pepperoni is always for the win. Okay, a classic. Now, yeah. if you were stranded on an island, but food and water provided, what are three things you'd like to bring to pass the time? Ben and Jerry strawberry cheesecake. <laughs> okay. Um, I would bring my. Uh, Oh, what would I bring? I would bring my Nintendo Switch. Okay. Um, and then I would also bring a book of some sort. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right, cool. If you could talk to any five people dead or alive in history, who would you want to speak to the most? You said five? Yeah, five. Because um, a lot of people have a tough time deciding on one, so. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, let's go with... Uh, Dr. King, 
Jeez, um, Dr. King, uh, Jesus, for real. Okay. Um, dang, now I'm blanking on historical folks. Honestly, I'm just going to go with two for right now, man, just because okay. I, I feel like such a, I have so many questions for just those two, uh, especially, like I said, as I named Jesus, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ask an infinite amount of questions there. Okay. I'll have to find a way to reword the question because I feel like either people want to give me like one or two or they want to give me like six or seven. So it's just, <laughs> there's no in between. And so I'm just like, all right, just give me whoever you'd want to speak to. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Couple more questions. If you could be reincarnated to any animal, what would it be? I would say a dolphin. Like I've just always really loved dolphins. Um, smart as heck, majestic, friendly. Um, yeah, definitely a bottlenose dolphin. Awesome. And then last question, if you could give any advice to your younger self, what would it be? Everything's gonna be okay. I was anxious as a kid, nervous, always needing to be perfect about or wanting to be perfect about everything. And now that I know perfection is a lie, I would definitely tell my younger self everything's going to be okay. Okay, awesome. Well, well said. Thank you again for taking time out of your day to do this interview. If you want to go ahead and plug anything, this is the time to do it. Any websites or social media that you'd like to promote? Man, uh, make sure you check out my next mixtape. No, I just um, so on uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, PH Dodson. Um, I have a podcast myself with my wife, Yessie Ortiz. Uh, Mental health is real, and real is an acronym for reflecting empathy and love. Um, full full disclosure: haven't done a, an episode in quite some time, but we have some dope episodes up there with like Common, mm -hmm. uh, Gina Belafonte, and some other really inspiring folks. So we're on SoundCloud and uh, Apple Podcasts. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again for your time, and hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, thanks, brother. You as well. All right, cool. Boom. That's gonna wrap it up for another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. Thank you again, Milo, for being a part of this show. You can follow Milo on Instagram and Twitter, phdodson, that's at phdodson on Instagram and the Twitter. Be sure to give a follow to the My Mike and I Instagram page while you're at it, at my period Mike and period I. Like I said earlier in the beginning of the show, I like to promote audio and visual snippets from the show, also promote the artist and the many different guests that I've had on the show and whatever they got going on. So be sure to give it a follow. That's at my period, Mike and period I. Also be sure to follow, like, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and review. And if you're listening on SoundCloud or any other platform where they allow comments, hey, that'd be cool too. And if you feel like you know a person, a friend, colleague, family member, cousin, ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, someone who you think would enjoy this show, be sure to send it to them too. Nothing like spreading the podcast word of mouth. That'd be greatly appreciated, guys. Last thing to promote, True 100 Radio. It's about TRU, the number 100 radio. Check them out on Instagram and on Twitter. We got cool announcements coming out later this year, so make sure you guys stay tapped in with them. You can check out the blogs and the many different podcasts that we have on our website. That's at TRU, the number 100 radio.com for all that good stuff. Again, shout out to everyone with True 100 Radio. Last but not least, hope everyone continues to battle and overcome all the obstacles that they are currently facing right now. Hope you guys continue to chase your dreams, not checks, and never stop seeking knowledge. 
Remember guys, knowledge is power. And the more power you have, well, I guess you can have a more, you can create the life that you want to live. I guess I'll leave it at that. Once again, guys, I'm Noah Alvarez, the host of the Mike and I podcast, signing off. Till next time.